0: so hard it's
1: it it may be like well i mean i'll i'll save it for the podcast but i mean if if we had to send one movie to space (laughs) for the extraterrestrials to know like the saturn mission with the vinyl the record Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it'd be bad boys but um (laughs) this is what they thought humor was Mm -hmm. Uh, you know maybe
0: aliens would find it funny
1: the rock that could unite play that at the u.n that could unite every country to be on the same page. Ooh. Flubber balls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> Are we recording? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry.
1: All right. Yeah. Whenever you're ready, don't
0: you Yeah. Know. Welcome to uh, Vulgar O Tours, the podcast where we discuss uh, underrated or potentially correctly rated uh, genre filmmakers. Uh, we're starting out our podcast discussing the films of Michael Bay concept of Bayhem, this week's episode is on The Rock, which is almost certainly as best movie. So it's all downhill from here. I'm Paco McCullough. I'm Jason Haskins. And... We're
1: babies. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's Michael B-A-E, yeah? Yes. yes. Michael B-I-E-H-N. Ah, yeah. uh, that would be a <laughs> twist. Oh my gosh, yeah. Producer Evan, can you uh look up, see who's right? Wait, for what? Michael oh, Bean. I was, yeah. How it's spelled We, we be- are beanie acts. Yep. <laughs> <laughs>
1: we wear beanies on mm-hmm. our sleeves. I wanna say that you're correct.
0: B I E H N. Yeah, yep.
1: B I E H N. Going oh, back
0: sweet. to what I was saying in the last episode about Will Smith never being in a good movie, despite being incredibly likable. Uh, I think Bean is the exact inverse. Has he been in a bad movie, despite being incredibly forgettable?
1: He's been in bad movies, but he's the elevator of it. You know, like, he elevates every movie. He kind of has the Bruce Campbell effect in that regard, Um, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman, like I- even bad movies that some of these great character actors like Michael Bean are in mm-hmm. totally makes it worthwhile. Cause he, and he shows up, he's kind of like, he's kind of like a batch of cookies that are sugar cookies. And one has a lucky little, you know, Reese's peanut butter cup in it. And he's, he's the Reese's peanut butter cup
0: of I mean, cookies. But he's just like all of the eighties and nineties. Like he never has a mist that I can name. We're talking the first great Cameron movies. Terminator, Aliens, The Abyss. We're talking... Is it Tombstone? Mm. Is that the one he's in? Is it, he in Tombstone? He's in one of know. those great fucking westerns. Unforgiven? Uh, I don't know. That's No, it's he, not Unforgiven. Yeah, 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 you're right. They made two movies about Doc Holliday at the same time. Yeah, And he's in the one good one. Ba- yeah, one was bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah. And then fucking rock which again is the movie we're discussing this week i also want to say like with the hindsight of 20 years i think casting sean connery in this role is one of the smartest things they've done uh this was the era when connery was actually working a lot but a lot of the movies are forgotten uh he was actually the first choice to be uh anthony hopkins in *Silence of the lambs
1: but oh, uh, interesting. He
0: was the, Demi wanted Connery for the Hannibal Lecter role, but he turned it down, uh, which is fucking bonkers. But again, he doesn't have a lot of range. We're yeah. talking the Russian sub captain with a Scottish accent. Yeah. Whereas <laughs> this is the perfect fucking movie looking back on because a lot of the films he was in have been forgotten Mm -hmm. this
1: some rightly so though oh yeah no what first ninety or something but yeah
0: the 90s were not a great time for him yeah but this with those movies forgotten doesn't feel like connery overload this feels like an off-brand un authorized James Bond movie. Oh, James Bond got fucking kidnapped by the American government for 30 years. And now he is out to get what he wants. Totally. And, and he has this really
1: sweet Robert De Niro Cape fear vibe Uh, when he has the long hair and the only negative I can think of is his haircut because like he looked awesome in his long hair. Like that would be a sweet James Bond movie of like, Oh, James Bond. Like that's why, you know, they found Roger Moore and all these others because the original double O was an
0: Alcatraz, you know, that would be pretty rad. Yeah. I just really think not only is it great characterization, like every step of the way with this character, we see, He's kind of bloodthirsty, but he feels like he's been wronged and he has, but he's incredibly intelligent. He's so crafty. Like think of the first couple scenes we see of him. He uses a quarter to cut open the glass.
1: Which was awesome. Like he slammed his chair down to make it like uh, flattened a little bit. Like
0: yeah, he, he,
1: he really in, it's not like that was a proper escape attempt. He just wanted to, break through that glass and make a point. And and like he, he's just so electric in this performance too. And in a way that he thinks ahead of all of the characters, he's this weird omniscient uh, character where he doesn't like his arc is different because he really is control the whole time. Mm -hmm. Like he really is not um, mitigated to like, even like an old man. I think people like characters in the movie will write him off as being older than he is when he's like he punches Nicholas Cage at a certain point and Cage flips over a table in a kitchen he like he really sells it and, mm-hmm. and that's what makes him just so amazing to see in this movie, especially
0: I think all three of the leads in the movie are great. Uh Harris really we should shout out because compared to the villain in Bad Boys, who was dealing with a nothing role. Yeah. Uh Harris is a villain you can understand from the start, which is crucial. Like one of the tenets of storytelling is you have to be able to identify with your villain in order to have your audience sort of kind of feel some sympathy. I think sympathy for a villain is incredibly important for adding nuance to a story as well as giving an actor something they can actually bite their teeth into. Like, every character needs to be able to find why they're doing what they're doing. And when you give someone shades of gray like uh, Harris has, we should say, in case you haven't watched it, uh, Harris is a commander who basically goes rogue, steals a bunch of VX nerve gas to hold the U.S. government hostage so that the families of men he's commanded who have died uh, can receive more payments than they get. And at no point in the movie is he, despite being the main antagonist, is he ever a villain? He's wrong, but he's doing the wrong things for the right reasons. He's not taking kids hostage. He's
1: yeah, like he warns the uh, little girl on Alcatraz to get on the boat to go back to yeah. San Francisco. Like, it's, it's really rare in this time, especially now, um, in the age of Marvel movies and all of these um, action franchises where there are bad guys and stuff. Harris really presents a character where you sympathize exactly with what he's um, standing up for, mm-hmm. and we all agree that he's doing it by the wrong means. But it makes for a compelling watch, because, um, you know, when that shift happens where there's the shootout at the in the shower room, mm-hmm. he realizes or maybe the audience realizes that he's not in control that the people that he's with are the bad guys, except for him and David Morse, um which is further you know uh, implemented in the in the last act. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just Harris is so um amazing in like, a bunch of um, movies that he's in. But this, I feel like, is one of his strongest performances, period, because just like you said, there's multiple layers to what his character is experiencing. And he's not just like, oh, I stole weapons, I'm going to bomb places. Like, he has a sense of duty and uh, the humanity of his role, which is the complete opposite of everything in Bad Boys, was genuinely really fascinating.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, I think... Nicholas Cage has the most thankless role, but he's able to like really find a groove with it as kind of he's introduced as someone who's very savvy but also like a total child. Well, he's like uh, a
1: hipster. Like he's like, oh, uh, I got this Beatles album. Oh, compact discs suck. Uh, yeah. Watch me play guitar. Uh, <laughs> like he. Well,
0: he's building Rube yeah. Goldberg devices in his fucking yeah. office. Uh, <laughs> like he's clearly someone who hasn't grown up. He's buying the record without his girlfriend knowing uh, because she wouldn't approve. But then, you see him at work in one of the opening scenes where there's that doll that sprays similar gas in the
1: severe outbreak scene where there's like internal lights in the helmet that serve no purpose, but to illuminate their faces and stuff. Yeah. You know what? (laughs) I love it. You need it. Trust me. I love (laughs) it.
0: You want to see those eyes. Uh, but no, I'm just saying in general, like in spacesuits, you gotta light those.
1: Uh, it's not like the glare would make it so that you couldn't see out in space. If there was lights reflecting into your You know, but that's a, I guess that's a, sorry, it's a tangent. Sorry. (laughs) Would you rather see
0: every movie where you can never see the protagonist face? Like, like the Mandalorian or something. I I think that'd be cool. I think it would really diminish, uh, the acting or the performance in a lot of cases. Uh, I think there's room for it, but anyways, yeah, sorry. (laughs) uh, We see that he's really good at what he does and under pressure. Yeah. Um, but he's also kind of a joke. And that sets up the first character arc in a Michael Bay movie so far. He finds out he's going to be a dad. He has to learn to quit being such a kid and grow up. And, of course, Michael Bay's idea of growing up is going around murdering a bunch of American Marines. <laughs> but, you know,
1: it's or, something. Or shooting a gun for the first time and sort of transitioning to being a man. Mm-hmm. Um that scene is all sorts of uh, Freudian stuff of Sean Connery in a little baby carriage, uh steel uh, thing who's being straddled by another man who's strangling him. And then mm-hmm. Nicolas Cage finally gets the cojones, which is some, you know, like something in every Michael Bay movie, but he shoots him and finally sort of realizes that, he has that ability, and that's a huge part of his arc as well. That he's he's not just some bumbling uh, pencil pusher, paper pusher. Mm-hmm. That he's actually he's not to be babysat by Sean Connery, which a lot of the movie is. But it, uh, I agree. I think his arc was actually surprisingly very um,
0: very well done. <laughs> One of the other things I really like is the nuanced difference between connery and cage's one-liners oh my gosh Yes, connery has really smart james bond-esque <laughs> one-liners that consistently made me oh laugh my gosh, yeah nicholas cage is like hey do you like that song rocket man oh you're the rocket man it feels like someone who's never done a one-liner before it and help- it fits the character so well
1: it felt like a joke I would make, like, daily, where it's just, like, I'm going to say something really dumb and explain why it's so dumb, and, and that Rocketman joke was all sorts of bad. And I feel like um, a lot of Nicolas Cage's, one, Nicolas Cage's one-liners were improvised, like, Zeus's butthole and, like, <laughs> um, give me some friggin' slack, like, things like that that are, that are really funny and endearing are great. But Sean Connery has the trailer moments. Yeah. Like while I was watching this movie, um, I was also thinking about it's almost like they wrote a movie to specifically make a really rad trailer. And I'd be super intrigued to watch the trailer because it's like Sean Connery has like welcome to the rock and they call it the rock like halfway through the movie when they're actually there. And like there's all these like stylistic choices that are made between the two of them. that are really charming in a way that it would look great in a trailer or you should have that line in the trailer and stuff. Like, I I couldn't get my head past it. And I I like that randomly. I don't know.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think every producer is looking for those trailer moments because you got to have something to sell your movie. But just everything about Connery's performance, just the sheer confidence and swagger felt like, nothing Connery has ever even done before. It felt like Harrison Ford levels. Uh, I think one of my favorite moments watching this time through was uh, when Connery goes to turn himself in and Nicolas Cage asks, Hey, are you going to save the hostages? And Connery doesn't even respond. He just gives a thumbs up
1: and (laughs) just the
0: fucking balls, like the whole swagger, the whole walk is so incredibly controlled and people don't give acting and action movies the credit that's due but performances like Connery's are not they're so rare Um, I mean I could count on one hand all the great action movie lead performances Uh, I think he's one of the best And, I mean, that's not even counting the fuck the prom queen line. Oh, sure. (laughs) Which
1: was fantastic. I I could have that on repeat um, to get me pumped up every day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I also, like, he brought a strange, like, sensitivity where I was able to, like, he, I feel like there's a certain point where there's a gray area about who is the main character because you're rooting for Nicolas Cage and everything to work out and that he actually, you know, serves a purpose and saves everyone from this nuclear, you know, catastrophe or this, uh, gas, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. um, hitting San Francisco. But then you have this, this person, you know, Sean Connery is playing a character who was completely shafted by the American government. Um, it has this snake Plisskeny moment where he signs a contract that if he agrees to help, um, that he'll be released from his internment where he's being held without trial without anything he's a ghost which that contract is then you know ripped up mm-hmm. and all he wants is to create a relationship with his daughter who he you know there's a really touching moment between them in you know uh, in this park and he his his um reasons for going to the rock um, and in assisting, are all you know? They're not all altruistic, but he just his character arc is very fascinating because you know he comes back after their um, their argument where he's just like, "I'm eighty something years old, like yeah. I barely was able to swim last time. I can, I'm gonna be fucked either way." Mm. Um, but you're also under the impression that like he is expressing that he cares about the situation that they're in and Nicolas Cage
0: he's growing to trust people like Nicolas Cage is the first person he's trusted probably most of his adult life uh and you know that's a really great bit of growth to see the times where he keeps running away to try to leave are kind of annoying (laughs) because it definitely feels like the screenwriters trying to create conflict when there's none Yeah, but it also makes sense for the character, so I forgive it. Um, It is interesting that something like seven screenwriters had passes at this movie, um, including Tarantino. Mm -hmm. Potentially, I've seen various things. He's not credited on a lot of it. Uh, And definitely Aaron Sorkin. Interesting.
1: Yeah. Do you? Do you? Would you be able to pinpoint like what parts were left over from their
0: input or anything? Like, I mean, I think there's so much that goes into the WGA Guild rules Mm -hmm. about that. Um, I believe if you've contributed 25% or more of the final script, you get a story buy. Mm. Uh, I think it's over 50, you get screenplay buy, uh, even if it's split. But without looking at previous drafts which i don't think are publicly available it would be incredibly difficult to know who did what uh given that this was released in 95 and we don't know exactly when tarantino's run on it was i kind of think again i have no evidence of this but my theory is that injecting the heart was something from Tarantino's interesting because he recycles a lot of things from unproduced scripts Yeah. and say he did his work on the script two or three years prior. He could have then taken that and put it in Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, watching it before I did my research, it definitely felt like a Pulp Fiction ripoff, mm-hmm. but it would have been funny if it was actually the other way around.
1: Well, I mean, it's funny you say that because I um, thought of Tony Scott a lot during this movie. Like, it has some, like, true romancy type moments and the way that it's shot, like, that, you know, that really electric, fast pace reminds me of Tony Scott. And uh, I could totally see some sort of influence bleeding over, too, especially as we previously discussed um, for the Bad Boys episode. Uh, you know, I think Bay really digs... Jackie Chan and John McTiernan and and some of these, you know, I think he's paying homage in a way that's not necessarily, I guess it's not paying homage as as much as he's trying to reproduce um, the things that he really enjoys. Mm -hmm. Um, Not half as well, but he actually does a pretty good job in this movie of, of creating, for one, you have a real life location, like they're shooting on location, other than the ridiculous like mine uh, cart sequences and yeah. like the underground furnace thing and all that stuff like the value of shooting in San Francisco in on Alcatraz a popular tourist destination um, you know the premise that the hostages are locked in cells in Alcatraz and are being held hostage um, it, it really develops an awesome scenario for our two leads to be in
0: Definitely does. Um, I just also feel like this is where he's coming into his own in terms of his cinematography. Mm-hmm. Going back to what we discussed in the previous one, this is the music video of action <laughs> movies. Oh, like sure. every shot is, I would argue, perfectly placed. Like it is gorgeous there are times frequently when you have no idea who is where or what's going on. Um, but every single shot of Harris's face (laughs) cage running and jumping, you know, Mm -hmm. bullets flying green little balls, like
1: flipper balls. yeah, Yeah. It's
0: all gorgeous. Um, and of course, one of the most iconic shots of the 90s, I would argue, is Cage with the two flares oh, at the totally. end.
1: Uh, That's the platoon moment, too. And in yeah. fact, I would argue that the bathroom scene when all of the good soldiers, I'm doing air quotes, and the bad soldiers are, are shooting each other, it has that grandiose vibe with the swelling score, mm-hmm. that which, by the way, is a little bit relentless because it's... It's classic because it's like four notes or something that are just repeated and it's super patriotic and uplifting. But um there's some platoon moments that felt super Oliver Stoney to me in this movie. And that that scene in particular is like the Shawshank Redemption-y scene of yeah. you know, um him in the rain escaping. Like it, it really is a sense of relief. Like the climax is like a really powerful, cool one that you like leave the movie feeling pumped.
0: It's funny that you bring up Platoon because I feel like on based on the Bay movies I've seen so far and my overall impression of Bay, he's a very kind of gung-ho armed services director. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas I feel like this movie is incredibly cynical about the American military. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Pentagon and the FBI fuck over a man who's unjustly imprisoned. He's the hero of our story. They fuck over the families of dead soldiers, hence Harris's whole deal. And then the soldiers themselves are either arguably traitors or relatively incompetent. I'm thinking of the fighter pilot who drops napalm after they oh, call off gosh. the attack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it doesn't showcase the armed services in a particularly good light. Uh, even the FBI, yeah. other than Nick Cage, everyone's kind of,
1: they're all assholes. Yeah. You know, I i would even argue on both sides. Like the FBI agents are kind of dicks and the mercenary people that Harris's character is working with are dicks that you're just sort of like the old crossing of the guard as Harris represents this classic military mentality of, of really, having decency or, tr- or at least ethics in what he considers mm-hmm. to be an ethical, reasonable response to, you know, I mean, his motivation is very interesting compared to like other movies that have tried to lampoon this. Yeah. But then you also have random other things like, um, one of the car chase sequences, uh, there's, um, what a Hummer that destroy, that plows right through a flower vehicle, like a heavy yeah. vehicle. Uh, you, you have the cutting of, you know, Sean Connery's hair there's a lot of like pro military stuff like the the opening of the movie is has that you know the American flag takes center stage Mm -hmm. the fighter pilots that are going to Alcatraz there's a huge like humongous flag that is uh in the background during the top gun portions of you know discussing the mission like it it's very much pro-American um and pro-military in terms of like this masculinity or like the good guys and i feel like i agree that it's very cynical here and it's actually pretty um it's not a it's understated can um when you think of it in context with how bay will go from here Mm -hmm. um but it it, he really sort of starts this trajectory of pro-military um Characters, you know, from Armageddon to well, maybe not Armageddon, but like Pearl Harbor in the Transformers movies like the military has that's some
0: true. And that's also he's working with Jerry Bruckheimer, who's been doing this shit since Top Gun, at least. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which going back to what you were saying about it feeling like a Tony Scott film, I think is really interesting because Jerry Bruckheimer in particular, I would argue, maybe more of an auteur than Michael Bay. Hmm. Uh, we get so hung up on the auteur auteur theory of directors, but there are so many producers that are auteurs throughout the run of filmmaking. Lloyd Kaufman. Hmm?
1: Lloyd Kaufman. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I mean, you don't get the Toxic Avenger without Lloyd Kaufman. Uh, But I, uh, I agree. But, I mean, go back to the classic Hollywood days. There's people setting the house style. And that more or less goes away with new Hollywood. But Bruckheimer brings it back in a way that I think is being replicated by Kevin Feige now. Uh, It's different. They have their own styles. But I would argue each is an auteur in their own kind of profit-driven way. Um, You know, producers got to make money. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you think about all the images from Bruckheimer films. They're so similar. You think about the pro-military pro kind of jingoist tint of just about every film he ever produces Mm -hmm. uh i think he's a really fascinating character and i think it's also really interesting that on the criterion specials that i watched (laughs) for the rock there's no interview with michael bay but there is one with jerry bruckheimer so interesting that lends some questions as to his involvement and i mean in every film, there's so many people working and everyone's putting in so much work, like from the PAs to, you know, wardrobe grips, everyone's doing their damnedest to make a good movie. And auteur theory always kind of bothers me because it places all the genius on one person mm-hmm. when filmmaking is such a collaborative art. And in the end of the day, The Rock is and will always be Michael Bay's movie but I do think that we should also give Bruckheimer a little credit for establishing the field for Bay to play in and like I would even I
1: I think that's totally accurate and I, I think even moving past that I th- this movie um it started a new movement in Hollywood of like action movies were different after this. Like you had faster cuts. You had a lot of like shaky cam, steady cam shots. You had like bigger locations where you weren't just restricted to a sound stage or, or other things. Like they were doing more uh, location scouting to like actually have the location dictate. Um, you know, we, we always talk about um, how sometimes um, and uh, a location can be one of the characters of the movie. And The Rock is literally, like Alcatraz is one of the characters because there's a lot of complexities at place of like what it used to be, what it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, really, um, it really started, I think, a new movement in Hollywood to produce better action movies um, set aside from the straight-to-video movies that were in place before. Because in the, in the time that this came out, was a really interesting period where I think a lot of the bigger action stars, and I could be wrong, but I feel like there was diminishing returns at this point in terms of martial arts movies or like the Schwarzenegger movies. Like I feel like this Nicholas Cage became kind of an action hero he icon that it was an everyman person, you know, like he, he's this eccentric interesting character fish out of water type place um, and I think that this started a really cool, um, you know, um, line in, in Hollywood that I really respect.
0: This was around the same time that Harrison Ford was really doing his action movie thing, mm-hmm. like Patriot Games and and The Fugitive. Yeah. Uh, and it's really interesting how much of a shift that was just in a few years, like last action hero I believe was 94 and it bombed and you know people didn't want the muscle men they wanted the everyman and I don't know what was going on there we seem to be at a complete opposite direction at this point where if you're gonna play a marvel superhero even you have gotta go to the gym eight hours a day for you know a two-scene role like Mm -hmm. Kumail Nunjani (laughs) but uh
1: well, it also hits every demographic, too, of, like, you could go to see this movie with your dad, who grew up with Dr. No and, like, you know, mm-hmm. Sean Connery as Sean Connery.
0: And well, you, you say every demographic, but, of course, not women. Well,
1: that's that was really, you know, not to be a, a bummer, but one of the... Th- there's a couple of things that I did not like about this movie, and one of them was, I think, other than the daughter played by... um what Claire Forlani, who's Claire Forlani. in rats or something. She like, she's just, she has a brief moment. And then mm-hmm. Nicholas cage has, um, a girlfriend who goes to San Francisco, but, um, you know, against his wishes because it's dangerous and everything. And she's treated like this nuisance or, you know, kept in the dark or this like damsel in distress. And she doesn't really have a lot to do in it. Like I just, I, I thought it was just an empty character to give Nicolas Cage a...
0: Yeah, that's exactly what she's there for because she's his family that he's learning to be an adult for, you know, Uh, and now that she's in harm's way, there's so many more stakes for him, which gets more and more ridiculous as it goes on because it becomes more clear that the rocket, it sounds like they say if it's blown up from above, it can hit like eight blocks. Yeah. San Francisco is a big city. Like, <laughs> a lot of people are going to die, but it probably won't be his girlfriend.
1: Yeah. Uh, and who knows? They could have been stationed in Oakland. Like, it, it, the Bay Area is a huge area. Like, well, who, who knows the where thing. they were. The one <laughs> missile they
0: actually shoot, they don't even shoot at San Francisco. They shoot it at Oakland. Yeah, no uh, kidding. Uh, which, again, for representation, I was like. That's, huh, that's that's a strange, interesting. Yeah.
1: yeah. But but it was like a stadium full of people like a football game or It would have been uh, probably base, the Raiders, yeah, yeah. cuz
0: they say the football game.
1: Which I mean, that's I feel like that was an interesting turn of events in this movie too when um the mercenaries that are with Ed Harris's character Um, sort of start a mutiny where they're just like, oh, we should have uh, displayed our masculinity. Like that toxic masculinity is a thorough line in here too, where it's just like, we have to show our power that we're not going to back down. We're not bluffing. So we have to kill thousands of people so that um, they know that we're not kidding. And I just, I I feel like that was such an interesting role when it turned into that um, situation where he was cornered by the people that he hired or or that he worked with, that he respected Mm -hmm. um, to do this special ops mission of, uh, you know, hostage taking and money when really that wasn't the motivation at the end of the day for Harris's character.
0: Yeah. And he really seems to believe that all of his soldiers are in it for the same reason he is. And I feel like, Again, this movie is harder on American troops than any others because it also kind of interestingly predicts where we are now. I mean, there was some mm-hmm. of this before, but Tony Todd saying we're not Marines anymore, we're mercenaries. Mm-hmm. With uh, the rise of private mercenary networks in America in the past 20 years, it's been really interesting.
1: I um, I don't know. I found myself distracted. Sorry, to change pace a little bit Um. I was thinking a lot of Face-Off, which is another great movie from the 90s. Nicolas Cage, John Woo. I kept getting distracted thinking about how cool it would have been to have Face-Off with Sean Connery and (laughs) Nicolas Cage. Where they could act like each other. And honestly, at this point in time, maybe Sean Connery's in his 90s. It could still work. They should do a soft soft reboot or a remake with Nicolas Cage and Sean Connery. Or at least The Rock 2. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, it's so fun and they have this great chemistry together too, that just constantly changes and it's kind of cute. You know, Sean Connery gives them a lot of shit and at the end, you know, Nicolas Cage is kind of dishing it back in this really cheeky way that, you know, it, this movie would have been a longer, tough movie if it was like bad boys where you didn't like the lead characters, you didn't understand their motivations. Mm -hmm. It would just have been a slog and this movie is like two hours and 15 minutes but doesn't feel that long at all. It's so fun. It feels
0: like solid 80.
1: Like it's, it really is fast paced. It has a lot of stuff to chew on these great action scenes. Um, The stakes are made known. Um, It does have some funny things. Like, I don't know what it is with Michael Bay. And I I, I couldn't, I didn't check if he used the same director photography or anything, but he loves this wave lighting look and like fans, like obnoxious fans. It's the music video look. Uh, Exactly. And, and it's so bizarre because it, it, um, you know, in that, that was the case too. There was like a, a nightclub scene in bad boys Mm -hmm. where they were playing some like nine inch nails, y ripoff thing. And then there's like a plastic bag over someone's head and they're, they're trying to suffocate someone. And it, it looked like a music video and here. it's, it's, it's like they're trying to do some noir angle where they have these like fans and this this direct lighting and every the lighting actually I found to be obnoxious at certain points.
0: You're so right.
1: I just thought a lot of <laughs> times it seemed washed out and
0: every they, single and, shot was gorgeous.
1: And that they reused sets. Like I'm pretty sure the bathroom pep talk scene. Um, between uh, what was it, Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage and mm-hmm. his office with those fans and lighting? That was the same set. I feel like they used the same sets quite a bit, which I, I found cheeky and fun. But um, the lighting in still, like I'm having some problems with the abrupt zooms. And, you know, I think it, it works for what it's not as obnoxious as Bad Boys. But it still leads to some tricky editing. Like when um, Harris is in that standoff Mm -hmm. with David Morris and the mercenaries, there's some quick cuts where I'm like, wait, so did Harris just pull his gun and point it that way? Like like, there's some weird abrupt cuts.
0: I thought it was him, but I thought it also could have been like the guy under Tony Todd. It just was really unclear. Again, this is Bayham, like his whole thing. And it only gets worse from here is he does not give a fuck about continuity editing when it comes to action scenes Mm -hmm. he gives a fuck about creating interesting images that when cut together feel like action even if there's no actual choreography (laughs) nothing actually happening yeah it's supposed to invoke that feeling And
1: just like the absurdity too, like even um, during the, in the beginning of the movie, when Sean Connery breaks out, um, you know, there's like a, they're in a swank, you know, hotel and he uses the soap on a rope thing from the shower to throw this, this asshole who locked him away over the side of the the building, which, oh my gosh, could have snapped his hand off, like Mm -hmm. with all of his weight in this tiny little rope, but it's like, there's, this is one of those rare movies too, where like each of the action set pieces is remarkable. Like you remember yeah. Um, like every scene, every like every set for the most part is, um, is so um, iconic. I mean the bathroom, the um, shower scene when the soldiers, you know, cut the motion sensor and there's that standoff there, you know, the rooftop, you know, flubber ball thing. Mm -hmm. Like there's so many iconic moments that felt well thought out. Um, and like a singular focused direction. And, and that's, that's different than bad boys before this and the movies that would be made after this, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. We've got a long road ahead of us.
1: Um, the other, I I don't know, this was kind of a weird, um, thing that I, I, I found and I'm interested to see if you saw the same things, but, um, speaking of like homages and, and, um, you know, the vibes that. Uh, Michael Bay sort of puts in some of his movies, I found this strange Indiana Jones link to this movie where you had the... um you know when Nicholas Cage finds the first blubber or flubber bomb ball string thing, mm-hmm. it's shot in a way that reminded me of the artifact from Raiders in the beginning. where the lighting from the green uh, flubber balls, you know, hits his face and the way that he
0: looks at those balls, <laughs> I didn't um, is really you know fascinating. I didn't see that, but the minecart, minecart definitely reminded me of that temple of doom
1: the um the last crusade part where uh sean connery you know who's afraid of rats you know wouldn't be caught dead in the catacombs you know where indiana right. jones is there's a huge explosion where they have to dive underwater and I, I just there's like these three moments in particular where i was like gosh this feels like indiana jonesy and i like that because yeah. this this also isn't just like a military tough guy movie like it feels like an adventure movie like you know escape from new york in a a way that it's almost it's not fantastical it's it it is it it kind of is realistic but it it feels like an adventure movie like it's really fun
0: this going back to it not being like a tough guy movie this and i would say the first three transformers movies with shia labeouf are the only ones where it's not meatheads yeah
1: like pain and gain and yeah
0: uh, Nicolas cage is a nerd Uh, he's the only one who doesn't know what he's doing and he has to like struggle his way through it and it works because he doesn't know what he's doing yeah he's a specialist (laughs) like Like you you care and you know that he's the underdog every step of the fucking way
1: and, and like you're with him. Like you, you see when he's unmatched, like he doesn't have the military training. He, he's a specialist who like, he has a certain skill and that's what he brings to the table. And then, um, you know, that's what, that's what drives a lot of like the momentum of the movie is making sure that he's okay. Or like, when's he going to kick some ass? Um, mm-hmm. also when is Nicholas Cage gonna ad lib next? Because I feel like, this is when we start to see the uncaged parts of Nicolas Cage, where, you know, I think years, years earlier, he had left the, you know, leave in Las Vegas, like Oscar winning stuff. And... Well, no,
0: that was two years down the road after this.
1: Holy smokes. Yeah. Oh, okay, then I'm, I'm <laughs> Maybe, kind of confused yeah. then, because he he really is fascinating in this movie in terms of his unbridled way of improvising lines like the Zeus's butthole line felt wild and like not in the script it seemed like Cage was doing what Cage does which I love like the opening to Face Off great example of like that Mm -hmm. wild
0: mentality that he brings Um, yeah uh, I think he's just like still in that sweet spot where he can like use that as a release valve every movie or two (laughs) Sure, but he can still turn it off Whereas now that valve's broken, like we're just getting full cage all the time, oh yeah, it's I'm not complaining,
1: it, oh, totally that's I'm not gonna complain about free pie that uh-huh. is tasty and and shows up in the most unexpected places sometimes. um
0: so did you see that uh this movie may have started the Iraq war? No, I didn't. <laughs>
1: realize that how uh, how so
0: so one of the specialists that testified on saddam's weapons capabilities according to wikipedia I've yeah. uh, taking it with a grain of salt uh described what we're calling the flubber balls and chemical weapons experts w- have said like chemical weapons are almost never sealed in glass balls for fairly obvious reasons i would say <laughs> <laughs> um, But that testimony was one of the things that led to, I think it was congressional testimony here in the U.S. that led up to the Iraq War and was one of the pieces of evidence. Uh, The screenwriter has come out and said that that was fucking ridiculous uh, (laughs) and that they did it for filmmaking purposes and that anyone who knew anything about chemical weapons, I believe his quote is something like, Anyone who knows anything about chemical weapons would recognize that this is not a realistic uh, format, but it's a bummer, and it brings the real world into a pretty fucking great movie.
1: But please tell me that they screened the movie for Congress, <laughs> or at least it, like they cited it somehow.
0: Uh, I bet you Bill Clinton had a screening of this. I'm sure The Rock was
1: one of his favorite movies. He just seems like a like a rock go home. And the prom <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> oh i'm sure that was written on the back of his
0: tie every yeah. day he read that
1: before mm-hmm. you know oh he had to have
0: bill clinton has raped some prom queens <laughs> oh i'm
1: i am most likely sure of that <laughs> I, I uh, bet, bet. um yeah. but, well i mean speaking he's a of, horrible person speaking yeah. of rape there's an awful prison rape joke uh in the movie that um sean connery is talking about how like Oh, you know, this is, I'm actually having a good time. You know, this is different from my usual, you know, gang rape, but I guess I've lost my sex appeal. Cause that doesn't happen often. And yeah. I was kind of baffled by that of like, Oh cool. So we're doing, you know, last movie was a bunch of homophobic shit. This is kind of like this, let's portray a, a quick, easy, funny thing. I'm doing air quotes of prison rape it just was really out of place and i mean again strange. it's
0: the 90s we thought prison rape was hilarious in the 90s
1: but it also doesn't make sense because he was in a confinement or like he i i seem to think that he had that he was, hannibal lectery approach of no like, he
0: was off the books but he was in a normal prison okay because they were like we can't find his name but we see that someone has like entered or left okay so i think that makes sense so, so you're defending the prison? No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. That that
1: sort of took me out. Not to be on a, a high horse, but like it's it's comments like that that I think um, get worse as we get into Michael Bay's work mm-hmm. of is this unbridled attempt at humor that is actually pretty off-putting.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's uncomfortable. While we're talking about uncomfortable things, uh, did you notice? The men in wheelchairs in this movie.
1: Yes, I could not avoid them for sure. They were, uh, you know, they were featured in a, a big chase scene.
0: Yeah, a two for two of car chases where Michael Bay's go-to is throw handicapped people in front of the cars for stakes. It's kind of incredible. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: I I agree. You know, it's, it's funny. um, Speaking of representation, I, (laughs) I don't, I don't know if I tuned out or I just became distracted by the idea of a union of stunt men and, or stunt people Mm -hmm. um, who are, um, you know, in wheelchairs were like, did they hire people who weren't, um, you know, in wheelchairs or paralyzed to be in this movie um, and act that way? Or do you think there's a union of stunt people that um, represent folks that with those mobility. There's requirements. definitely
0: a union of stunt people. Uh, I would venture to guess that enough of them have been injured over a dangerous career that they may actually be able to assign stuntmen who are paralyzed to those roles. Right I on. Can't testify to that for sure, but well, I mean, that, stunt work is incredibly dangerous.
1: Absolutely, and and I think you know. It would just be interesting to know that that equity is is made possible in Hollywood, especially this you know '90s Hollywood. I, I think that was an interesting little um, tidbit I was thinking about. That was interesting to me, at least. Mm-hmm. I um, this this movie really is, I think, the plateau of Michael Bay's achievements as a director because it it's like there's nothing you have to you know, think too hard about. Like the story is pretty straightforward. All the characters are pretty engaging. There's awesome, like there's funny moments. There's just really cool moments. He really, like, I, this is one of those those movies where I grew up watching it and really enjoyed it, but it's been a hot minute since I've seen it too, that it, it really reaffirmed my um, love of this movie. Like the idea that, you know, I'm now 30 and still Mm -hmm. enjoy this movie for different reasons. Like I, I love some of the schlocky moments of it, but it is like a really good action movie. Like one of the best ones that in, in American, uh, you know, cinema.
0: Every step of the way we're talking probably the only good script he's ever worked with. Uh, yeah. And then every person in his cast, one of the things we haven't really talked about yet is how great, He is a casting character actors. Oh, yeah. Tony Todd, Michael Bean, David Morris. John McGinley, going back to Platoon. Totally. uh, You get the sense, and we'll talk about this more going forward, like every Michael Bay movie has a Coen Brothers regular. Mm -hmm. Uh, He likes good movies. He just doesn't make them for his job. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And on that note, uh, next week we're going to be watching Armageddon. <laughs> oh gosh,
1: I'm, um, I'm dreading this. This is, you know, it, it feels like this was a, a weird sandwich of bad boys, was a moldy piece of bread, and The Rock is this really wonderful piece of cheese or something. And then now it's just a whole loaf of shitty bread. The rest, like... More I, shit than bread. It's true. I, I think... Um, the, uh, I think the, the other thing about this that, that can't be denied is, is you know, Michael Bay's energy. Like he, I feel like he was super creative in mm-hmm. how he set this up. And there's all these setups and payoffs. Like it, this is, you know, you mentioned screenwriting 101 and Bad Boys. This is like a great screenplay because it hits all the beats. It's fast paced. It, it really is a fun action movie like you
0: don't see these anymore this is you sort of... know what the characters want and need every step of the way every character yeah like you're never like why is that guy doing that you get it like you're never like why is this scene here because each scene leads to the next scene each character moment is real oh god and and works it's... like it, it, i'm just speechless
1: like you You could have said this was directed by a different filmmaker and I would have said, okay, that makes sense. But the idea that this is like the dark horse or the, like, this is the great achievement that Michael Bay has. And Mm -hmm. I don't think people, like, I think we need to shout from the rooftops. Like, I think this needs to be screened at Alcatraz every day.
0: I think it's really interesting going back to last episode, how Roger Ebert burned bad boys pretty hard. Roger Ebert loved this movie. He wrote the Criterion essay for the Criterion DVD release.
1: You know, to be honest, I'm kind of shocked this is on the Criterion collection. But I I guess, I mean, they have Chasing Amy. They have some random
0: movies in Criterion. I don't know what the hell they were doing in the late 90s, early 2000s. Well, I mean, you had like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Like you had like a
1: lot of like Steve Zizou, which I love Steve Zizou, but like, I think a lot of times people consider the Criterion like this.
0: Did you know they've done two John Woo movies? No. The Killer and Hard Boiled both have Criterion releases on DVD. Okay, that's that's sort of awesome. Anyways, this has been (laughs) Criterion Talk. (laughs) Signing off till next time. (laughs) See you later.